Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You can do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. Uh, Mark 9, 14 through 29, the healing boy with a spirit. When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and some scribes arguing with him. And when the whole crowd saw him, they were immediately overcome with awe. And they ran forward to greet him. He asked them, what are you arguing about with them? Someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son. He was a spirit. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. And whenever it seizes him, it dashes him down, and he forms and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they could not do so. He answered them, You fearless generation, how much longer must I be among you? How, how much longer must I put with you, put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him when the spirit saw him immediately. It, convul- it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. He asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said from childhood, it has often cast him into the fire and into the, and into the water to destroy him. But if you are able to do anything, have pity on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you are able, all things can be done for, for the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus, saw that, when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You spirit that keeps this boy from speaking and hearing, I command, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And crying out and convulsing, he terribly, um, cry, after crying out and convulsing him terribly, It came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus told him by the hand, but but Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he was able to stand. When he he had entered the house, his, his disciples answered him privately, why could we not cast it out? He said to them, this kind of, this kind can come out only through prayer. Amen. My name is Zana. I am a student pastor here. Um, so thank you, Patrick, for sharing your testimony with us. I don't, has he gone? Um, but it's always interesting to me how, uh, how people can change from the traditions that they grew up in um, and, and can really change around. Now, the tradition that I was in 
that I grew up in, uh, was, a, was a charismatic. Uh, and so that meant that dramatic prayers for healing, um, speaking in tongues, and you know, even the odd exorcism here and there, you know, that was, that was common practice in the churches that I grew up in. And um, I'm aware that some of you that may be unfamiliar, so I have a video. Have we, have we got the video? video? Just so that it's not a... It's not, it's hard to understand, but I think you'll get the idea. Okay, thank you. Okay, so uh, I think, I suspect that's a setup. I think they're probably actors. Um, and they're, they're trying to make an amusing point about how sometimes in these things there can be more showmanship than miracle. Um, but, you know, in many churches, uh, prayer for healing and casting out evil spirits. Uh, and spiritual warfare is taken very seriously. And I do not want to belittle or dismiss anyone's tradition. Uh, it's my tradition. But what I do want to say uh, is that these kind of ministries, they, they can be harmful if they are not done with sensitivity, uh, understanding, particularly of mental health conditions, um, and good theology. And I know firsthand the damage that can be done by overzealous Christians who are trying to help those of us who have disabilities, um, physical or mental, or illnesses. Um, I, was, I was physically restrained. I was pinned to the floor by several people while they were praying for me because I had a panic attack uh, in the middle of the prayer and they, they mistook that for a demonic manifestation. And these were people who loved and cared for me. And I have absolutely no doubt that they thought what they were doing was the best for me. However, their misunderstanding of mental health and their over-spiritualization of that incident uh, you know, was harmful and damaging. And so I cannot stress this enough. Mental health conditions are not demonic. They are not. But that is not to say that Demons and the spiritual world doesn't exist. I personally believe that those oppressive structures um, that may uh, cause limited health access or institutionalized stigma, they have supernatural evil roots. I also believe that human beings are made up of mind, body, and spirit. And if any one of those are unhealthy, then it can impact the others. So, for example, uh, 
I get hangry. We got a picture of me hangry? There we go. Yeah, I get hangry. Uh, if, I, if my body does not have enough sustenance, then it actually impacts my, my mind, my emotions. And I get really grumpy, and my fiance Heather can attest to that. <laughs> you don't have to say that so loud. <laughs> So, you know, it makes sense to me that if, you know, if, uh, if my body can impact my mind, then my spirit can impact my mind and my body as well, where they are all connected. And so true self-care, to really take care of ourselves properly, we need to take account of mental, physical, and spiritual. And in today's passage... You know, we need to recognize that the writer of Mark's Gospel was writing this text in a world that didn't have the same understanding that we do, um, the same psychological and medical knowledge that we have today. And um, so it's generally accepted that the symptoms described by the boy's father... Can we, can we just get the, um, the scripture up again? So it's verse 18. So in verse 18, he says, it seizes him, it dashes him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. Now, with our modern medical knowledge, it's generally accepted that this description is actually epilepsy. And that's a neurological disorder. It's not a spiritual one. But you can see how 2,000 years ago, when they didn't have the same understanding, the same knowledge that we have, that, that it may have been mislabeled, that they may have made a mistake. Now, I don't have a lot of experience with epilepsy, but I do know when I first experienced a panic attack that it felt and probably appeared to onlookers uh, like something had taken over, that something had taken control of me, that I didn't... I wasn't the one who was in control, and I didn't... You know, I couldn't do anything about it. And so it must have looked kind of scary. It felt scary. It's only with my understanding of what anxiety is, uh, through therapy, through reading up on it, that I now realize that that something that took over was actually adrenaline. Um, it's that it's anxiety disorders quite often, panic attacks and anxiety occur because that normal fight or flight hormone that was originally designed to help us, to give us that extra boost uh, if we needed to escape or, to, or defend ourselves, that's less useful in a modern world, okay? We don't, we don't have the same need for it that they did. I mean, it's not every day you get attacked by a bear, right? I mean, uh, maybe not here, maybe not um, in the UK, but maybe you do here, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I hear there are more bears here. Um, but we don't need it. We don't, we don't need that hormone. And so that excess adrenaline, it manifests in symptoms like heart palpitations, hyperventilation, muscle spasms, um, and they look, they, look, they look like something scary. And so we can forgive Mark and the people in this story for mislabeling the boy's condition. But as modern readers, we must account for and readjust our understanding of, of the scripture in, in, in light of advancements in medical knowledge and scientific knowledge. So let's approach this passage then, not as an exorcism, but actually as a healing. Let's assume that Jesus, uh, you know, either as fully human, shared the limited perspective of first century Palestine, 
Um, or perhaps as fully God knew that it wasn't spiritual, knew that it was, in fact, epilepsy, uh, but used language that the people around him would understand. You know, either way, maybe it was a mix of both of those things. Um, let's, a, let's think of this as a healing, but even as a healing, there are elements of this passage that I find problematic. Uh, so, for example, uh, Jesus comes across as a bit of a jerk. You know, he's impatient, and um, his bedside manner leaves a lot to be desired. Um, and so I kind of wonder, maybe Jesus gets hangry too. We got, there we go, hangry Jesus. <laughs> what, uh, the story that's, that um, precedes this one that we read today is actually, uh, Jesus has gone up a mountain, and he's experienced the transfiguration. If you're unsure what that is, then that's your homework. Go, go read the story before this one. Uh, so, but he's climbed a mountain and he's come down again. And he's probably tired and exhausted and hungry. And he's met by a crowd of people who have gathered to watch his disciples mess up. <laughs> They've gathered to watch his disciples not be able to do a healing. And then the disciples get in an argument with the religious leaders over it. So that's quite a spectacle. And Jesus is just like, oh my goodness. Oh, how long do I have to put up with you? You know? <laughs> How long do I have to be around you people? And, um, excuse me a minute. You know, oh, and he also, he uses, so he uses a phrase in that, in that he says, you faithless generation, which actually is, an old, is Old Testament language. It's used of the people in Noah's day who got wiped out by a flood because of their unbelief. It's used of the people, of the Israelites when they were wandering in the desert and because of their unbelief, they had to do that for 40 years and weren't allowed to see the promised land. So these, you know, it's not a great example to be lumped alongside. He's like, you people are so faithless. You're as bad as the people in Noah's day. You know, it's a scathing accusation. And, um, but, his, but Jesus' exasperated response, it highlights his humanity, which is something that Mark was quite, is quite fond of, fond of doing. But it also reminds us that it's okay to get grumpy. It's okay to feel emotions. They're what make us human. But sadly, it's not uncommon for those of us with disabilities, mental or physical, to be told by well-meaning Christians that if we only had more faith, if we only had more faith, then we would be healed. And I, I, think, I think that's supposed to be encouragement somewhere hidden in there. But in reality, it feels like an accusation. It feels like someone is saying, Zana, you do not have enough faith. You are inadequate. If you could just believe a bit more, then you would receive what God has for you. And when Jesus says things like, all things can be done for the one who believes, sometimes that's taken by people as putting the onus on the person who needs healing, putting the responsibility on someone who is perhaps already suffering, you know, maybe adding shame to an already heavy burden. And why do people do that? Well, I think the reason is not because they don't care, but because they have a misunderstanding of what faith is and they have a misunderstanding of what healing is. So healing is very often mistaken for cure. Um, have we got the next slide? So cure, Google says that cure is when a disease or condition or injury is eliminated. It's gone. 
totally eliminated. Healing, on the other hand, is a process. And that may be an instantaneous process, but very often it takes time, years even, and the problem may never be fully eliminated. And a cure sometimes seems like the ideal solution. Jesus' miracles you know, seem to provide an instant fix that so many of us would love to receive, and I do actually believe in miracles. But you know what? Even this miracle occurred in stages. The epileptic's epileptic boy's healing, at first, he appeared dead, and it was only when Jesus went and lifted him up that he was made fully well. Well, certainly his epilepsy was made well. And you know what? Also, ask anyone who has been on a healing journey, who's experienced that in their life, myself included, what value they put on the process. And I would guess, more often than not, they actually have gained a lot more from the healing process than the end result in and of itself. So healing... Healing has been misunderstood, and faith is also a misunderstood concept. And in this, in this passage, Jesus seems to be implying that it's an essential element of healing. And Jesus isn't wrong, in my opinion. I think he really is. But faith is an essential element of healing because, you know, not because it means you don't have any doubts, but because it means trusting in something or someone to have the power to enact change for the better. You know, and that... That might be faith in God. That might be faith in therapy or medication. And often it is faith to believe in ourselves. And it doesn't even have to be a lot of faith. This story in Matthew's Gospel, the same story, uh, but different author, uh, in that one, Jesus says, you just need faith the size of a mustard seed. It's tiny. I don't know if you have ever seen a mustard seed, but it's really, really small. It's like the smallest of all seeds. Tiny, and that is all the faith you need, just a tiny amount of faith in order to make that first step. You know, just enough faith to motivate you to maybe pick up the phone and call and make a doctor's appointment. Maybe it's the first step of faith is saying a prayer. And then maybe you'll have faith for the next step and the next step, but you just need faith for the first step. And the misunderstanding with faith is believing that the opposite of faith is doubt. It isn't. Novelist and political activist Anne Lamott says the opposite of faith, the opposite of faith is not doubt, it's certainty. You may be more familiar with that with Brené Brown because she quotes her as well. But if you are certain, then no faith is required. There is always a little bit of doubt involved in faith because otherwise it's not faith. Faith is having the courage, despite our doubts, to put our trust in something we're not 100% sure of. And so when Jesus says, all things can be done for the one who believes, he's actually offering this boy's dad a chance to trust Jesus, to take a step of faith. And so when the dad's response is, yeah, I, I believe, but, oh, you know, just, just, I need help with my unbelief. It really isn't any wonder that he has unbelief. So I am sure that this is not the first time he's tried to help his son. 
Uh, I'm sure he's desperate. Like his son throws himself into fire, throws himself into water. What parent would not do anything to stop this from happening, to keep their child safe? And so I'm sure he's tried and tried again to fix this problem for his son. And, and yet just moments earlier, the disciples have once again let him down. So really, it's no wonder. And Jesus knows that this man needs his faith renewed. And actually, his exclamation, help my unbelief, is a statement of faith. Because he believes that Jesus can make a difference. He believes that Jesus can give him this faith he needs. And you know what? We can assume that he got that faith that he asked for, that he got the faith he needed, because Jesus is able to heal the boy's son, the, the man's son. So faith is an important element of healing, but you know what? It's not the only element in this story. The disciples are mystified as to why they can't heal the boy. And they may be even a little insulted because we're told that, they, that an argument starts because of this. And maybe a little embarrassed because it's in private they ask Jesus, hey, why couldn't we do it? And Jesus' answer is surprising. But given that he's just been emphasizing the role of faith, his answer is, well, this kind of healing requires prayer. And I'm speculating but I wonder if the disciples had plenty of faith. Actually, they've seen, they've seen Jesus perform hundreds of miracles. They've been following him around. He's even been sent, they, he, they've even been sent out and performed miracles themselves. And so faith maybe isn't the problem for them. Maybe, maybe they're just a little bit smug. Maybe what they needed was to remember that the power they had been given and the power they'd been experiencing uh, that power was from God, and it's not their own. And you know what? Prayer is an excellent way to remind us of our reliance on God. And you know, there's another character in the story, and this is my favorite bit of the story, because this character, Jesus makes absolutely no demands of faith of, no demands of prayer of, no demands of anything of. And that's the boy with the epilepsy the boy who actually experiences the healing in his own body. Sometimes we don't have faith. Sometimes we can't even muster that little tiny mustard seed. Sometimes it's totally beyond our capacity. And yet he experienced healing because those around him had faith. His dad had faith, even if it was just a tiny amount, in order to bring his son to Jesus. And Jesus had enough faith for both of them. Jesus has enough faith for all of us. See, I'm going to bring up a picture of Bitmoji Jesus. Jesus has got us. So what... And so the, the boy experienced healing because he had a supportive family. And his dad experienced healing because he was able to find that little amount of faith. And even Jesus, it seemed, needed the dad to have faith. And the disciples needed, you know, maybe some humility. But presumably, they all got what they needed to experience healing because the boy was made well. So what is it that you need to experience healing? What do you need to do today? 
Do you need to take care of your mind and your emotions by seeking the support of professional, uh, mental health professionals? Do you need to take care of your body to get, you know, do you, are you getting enough sleep? Do you need to change your diet? Do you need to exercise more? Or is it your spirit that needs attention? Do you need to join a small group? Do you need to tick the box on the handout that says discipleship? Do you need to speak to someone? Pray with our lay chaplains that are available here this morning. God gives us what we need to experience healing in our lives. We just need to take that first step. Trust that it's actually possible to make a difference. And then maybe we'll receive the faith for the next step and the next. One step at a time. And wherever you're at in that journey, whether this is the first step, whether it's difficult for you to even find the faith for that step, or if you uh, have taken lots of steps already and you've kind of done your journey that's taken you all over the place, wherever you are in that, don't be afraid to cry out, help my unbelief. Because God gives us what we need to experience healing in our lives. Can you pray with me? Almighty God, God, who wants to give us everything we need to experience healing. Lord, we ask that you would show us the next step. That you would give us enough faith to do, to do what we need to do today. Pray that you would bring others around us who also have the faith. Faith that can support us and lead us and guide us faith to love each other and help each other heal. In Jesus' name, amen.